Big Thing on Total Soccer Show, the show where we dig into one of soccer's meatiest topics. Today, we're looking at the winter transfer window. In recent years, there's been a flurry of winter spending with big clubs looking to fortify their pushes towards the top of the table and relegation-threatened sides trying to spend their way out of trouble. Last January, Premier League clubs spent $1 billion on transfers. With little over a week to go in this window, Premier League total spending is at just $55 million. So why is this January window so quiet? Should clubs be spending more? Is this the new normal? Or will silly spending season make its glorious return? My name's Ryan Bailey. Big thing in it with me today. Taylor Rockwell, hello. Hello. Graham Rothman, hello. Hello. And Joe Lowry's here. Hi, Joe. Hi, Ryan. Joe? Ryan? Do you love the January window as much as me? Which is to say, not so much. I mean, I, I I like the January window. I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good part of, of the sport having a window in the middle of the season. It makes it fun. Uh, with that being said, there is often little going on in the January transfer window. One of the things that we talked about, though, sort of off mic earlier on in the week is, why on earth is nothing happening in this transfer window? Mm. Last season, we had a ton of action. Granted, a bunch of that came down to Chelsea and Todd Bowley, but not all of it. There was a lot of moves that happened. There were a lot of moves that happened in the in the transfer window last year, a, a year ago. Why are we not getting them this year? I had no clue what the answer to that question was. And I learned a lot doing this research for this show. So I hope listeners do as well. Indeed, Graham, lots to be uh, said on this episode. But obviously, uh, we had a spend slowdown in 2021 with uh, COVID and various other things. But things really ramped up last January, as mentioned in my intro there. But yeah, it's it's really tailed off for various reasons. Yeah, it's been not so silly spending season. Silly spending season, by the way, I think is what they call when you enter a Lululemon um, shop. I've heard that that's what that people call that. Graham uh, workshop that all night. Just so you know. <laughs> it's not just a season, baby. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, but let's outline some of the spending. So you mentioned one billion dollars last um, season, last January, Ryan. That's seven hundred eighty million pounds 34.6 million pounds on uh, transfers in the current january window as of thursday there has been only six permanent transfers in the premier league that have had a transfer fee so there is certainly some evidence to back up the notion that this has been a quieter transfer window than we have had in the past 10 of the 20 premier league clubs have yet to make a single signing and Brighton, Brentford and Tottenham are the only three clubs to have made more than one signing now the interesting thing is that outside of the Premier League, this January window has been pretty ordinary. It actually looks like the spending in the other big five European leagues will go up this month on last year, last January. A collective £250 million has been spent in La Liga, the Bundesliga, Serie A and Ligue 1. But obviously this still isn't a huge amount and it's more of a case of the Premier League coming down to the spending uh, coming down to the spending levels of the rest of Europe rather than the other leagues uh, rising up. And there are a number of different factors uh, in this. I don't know if we want to go into that right now, but we have the impact of financial fair uh, play rules and the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules. There are some other factors as well, maybe related to AFCON and Asian Cup games happening right now so yeah i agree with joe this was a question i didn't really know the answer to and now that i've done some research there is some evidence to support the idea it has been quieter indeed yeah, I, I like my bullet points i think i've got it down to six main bullet points as to why there has been less spending specifically in the premier league but i think generally speaking as well 
All right. You're going to do that now or are you going to pass them out for us, Taylor? I think we'll parse them out because I feel like that's a lot of me talking. But I think Graham hit on the main one, at least mm. when it comes to England. It's the profit and sustainability rules getting enforced. Uh, I read a really good article about this entire topic uh, by Nick Miller for The Athletic. And he was talking about how some of the sources he's spoken to in front offices have sort of responded to the points deduction for Everton and then Everton and Nottingham Forest getting charged or likely to get charged uh, with a feeling of like, oh, they're actually doing something about this. We did not know this was going to be the case. And so I think there are some some nervous front offices and some front offices who are maybe trying to make sure that their books are pretty solid. Manchester United have said they're going to be really disciplined. Newcastle, uh, we've talked about this previously, seem like they're okay with selling players to make sure that they are in compliance. Fulham and Aston Villa, I think, are being a little careful, even though Villa have made a signing so far in January. Wolves already sold a bunch of players this summer, so it does seem like Premier League teams are more concerned about profit and sustainability penalties than they have been previously. Yeah, and those rules that you're talking about, Taylor, the the profit and sustainability rules, they have been in they have been in place for a while. So obviously, mm-hmm. of course, we have the UEFA financial fair play rules. Then we have the Premier League's own financial fair play rules, which are called something different. They have been in place since 2015. But what's happened since 2015 is a change in leadership at executive level for the Premier League. So Richard Masters, who is the relative new CEO of the Premier League, is proving to be much more hardline on enforcing these rules than Scudamore, who was his uh, predecessor, was. And so we've seen the points deduction Everton were handed and the additional charges that Everton and Nottingham Forest have had. So to add to your point, Taylor, there's I think there's a real nervousness across the, the Premier League that the league itself is looking hard at the deals that are being done and the bookmaking of each individual club. You know, I, I don't wish any points deductions on any particular fans of any particular Premier League teams. What I will say is I just feel... I feel good as someone who spends a lot of time paying attention to Major League Soccer that now we get to have similar obscure financial conversations around other leagues in the world, specifically the Premier League. Um, To Premier League fans, I would just like to say, welcome. (laughs) Hey, here we are, Joe. Here we are. Graham, talking about the the, the sustainability and the profit rules, and this is a very valid point, uh, although I'm curious as to why, you know, so many clubs have decided this is the point at which to act. But um, could there not also be uh, some impact from the actual financial conditions in the UK at the moment, this being a, a predominantly a Premier League issue. You know, in, inflation's hit the UK a little harder than it has, say, the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, could this also be a little bit of belt tightening, which is conveniently aligned with uh, adhering to the rules? Yeah, potentially. And you read, or we have read stories in recent years about the exchange rate maybe impacting transfer fees that clubs are having to to pay. So the pound not doing so well against the the euro in particular, and a lot of these deals are conducted uh, in euros. So that that, that could be a factor, certainly, um, Mm -hmm. Ryan, is that there's obviously a greater economical issue in the UK right now. But to your question as to like why now, Ryan, I do think it's that Everton points deduction. But but from what I read, it seems like that was meant to be the reason why it's so punitive and so harsh. I think it was meant to be a, like, this is how seriously we're taking it. You all better act accordingly or we're going to dock you points. And I think in the past, there was a feeling of maybe we'll get uh, a financial penalty. Maybe we'll get, like, a transfer embargo for, like, one window or something like that. But we can sort of handle that if it means that we sign the players we need in the short term. And I think with the points deduction, there's a feeling of like, oh, they're actually going to penalize us. And this could cost us European places. This could put us into the relegation zone potentially. And so I think teams knowing that and being a little bit wary of what the penalties could be, because 10 mm. points is what Everton got, but that doesn't mean it's the max. Yeah. So I, I think there's a fear there of the unknown, but also the known at the same time. 
I think in the past it was a bit like returning a rental car where they're not checking for dents. They're just sending it back out again. Whereas now they're going round. Yeah, oh, wow. It's a fantastic down, yeah. They've got the magnifying glass out now. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's yeah. so good and so helpful. And, and, I love it. And that. Everton just happened to be the, the driver that showed up with, like, the dented front, yeah. like, the dented hood. Like, it wasn't us. Dragging <laughs> a tree. Yeah. Man City's cars are coming City's back, like, fully fire. compacted yeah. into six by six by six cubes, and they exactly. do not care. Like, this is how you gave it to us, wow. and we're going to hire lawyers yeah. to say that that is how we got it. Thank Everton you very rolling much. in with their car looking like a golf ball, and uh, they've, uh, <laughs> they failed the test there. Very good. It's the first Jackass movie where he takes a rental car to the demolition derby. That's, right. That's what Everton did to it. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Taylor, I assume one of your bullet points mm-hmm. will pertain to the current international tournaments, AFCON yes. and Asia Cup happening at the moment. I suppose uh, if you want to buy a player who is active in one of those tournaments, you're not getting them till mid to late february that might exactly. have uh, an impact here too yes and then i think it also means for the teams that currently own those players you have a little disruption in what your plans are going to be and how you go about replacing them uh so uh the gist would be that i think yeah an already small pool of available players gets even smaller uh because some of like i think there's many many teams in the world who could use a number nine and there are a few very talented number nines currently playing at afcon or returning from injury uh from afcon so i think that does hurt things a little bit i i think we haven't yet talked about saudi arabia but i think that is part of it that saudi arabia seemed to not be spending as much in january it seems like they are waiting until the summer uh, and i think their window closes a little bit before the premier leagues does so we'll see if that changes but for now i think some of the spending last year, I mean, a lot of the spending, I think a third of the overall spending in the Premier League last year was Chelsea, but a lot of that was fueled by the influx of Saudi money and that Premier League clubs could sell players and clear their books a little bit and get some of the wages off, and then they had a little bit more flexibility. With a lack of Saudi money this time around, I think teams are not able to have that flexibility yeah. so far. I think that point is entirely valid, uh, Taylor. I don't know if you've got this one on your list of six bullet points, but I think there might also be a sense of security in the bottom half of the Premier League this yeah. season that there yeah. hasn't been in past seasons. In past seasons, so I think back to last season, that total of seven hundred eighty million, a third of it was Chelsea, one hundred forty million pounds of it was, I'm trying to remember, Leicester, Leeds, Leeds, and, and Southampton. Yeah. yeah, those were yeah. the three teams that went down. Of course, this season, it feels like there is a little bit more of a divide between the bottom three. And then, of course, Forrest and Everton have had their deductions already. So they're not going to be spending a, a, a huge amount or rather Forrest haven't had the deduction yet, but they've got their charge and Everton have got their points deduction. So there maybe isn't the same level of panic among some of the clubs in the bottom half of the of the Premier League table. And the ones that are panicked are restricted from mm-hmm. spending the money that they would like to spend. Yeah, I think uh, that Nick Miller article I referenced made the point that, like, this Crystal Palace team, for example, a team that we've talked about, like, is Roy Hodgson the manager for them going forward? Will they try to replace him? Uh, His argument was in seasons past, they might have been worried about a slide into the bottom three. And so you have to spend money, you have to make changes, you have to be proactive. Now, that bottom three looks pretty poor. You've got the points deduction for Everton already. Maybe you have another one. Maybe you have one for Nottingham Forest. And there's a sentiment of, we're probably not going to slide into the bottom three or the bottom five. So maybe we don't spend over the top now, because that's what you have to do in January. Maybe we'll just sort of take that little bit of a risk and then see what happens in the summer. And I think, Graham, another... So I I had that one. I also had a, a related one would be Basically, that there uh, of late is not a great track record when it comes to January signings working yes. out. Uh, yeah. uh, you mentioned that 140 million pounds spent by Southampton, Leeds, and Leicester. 
all three teams who were relegated uh, and I think had a worse points per game total after January. So those signings didn't change things. And again, from that Nick Miller piece, uh, there was an interview with Omar Chaudhuri, chief intelligence officer for the research company 21st Group. He said, we analyzed uh, strikers for strikers brought in in January in the big five leagues since awesome. 2012. 40% did not score a goal in the remainder of that season. So even bringing in those proven goal scores does not mean that you will get proven goals as a result. So I think there is some weariness about the value you are getting and the impact it will have for the money you're having to spend in January. Taylor, I love that you brought that up because that absolutely floored me. Like that is, I know 40%, well, right. you know, it's not every striker who's not scoring. 40% of every striker moving into a big five league in January, not scoring a single goal for the second half of the year is absolutely ridiculous. By and large, you don't go and sign players in January that you want to just kind of stash away. Like, at least the big teams are going out looking for strikers that go out there and put the ball in the back of the net to help them win a title, to help them make the European slots, to help them avoid relegation. And the fact that 40% of those for more than a decade have done absolutely nothing in terms of putting the ball into the back of the net, is a damnation of this January window and, and of teams and their approach to it. No, what I will say is maybe, I don't know the full breakdown of those numbers because I, I read that as well, Taylor. Maybe it is really heavily weighted towards the players that are, are just being stashed away. Man City just bought a player from uh, Argentina River Plate, I believe, and they're not planning on bringing him in immediately. So I don't know exactly what the sample is there, but I think there's some truth to that, right? We all sort of know that because of the January transfer window's existence in the first place, and because of the timing of it, generally speaking, the moves that get made in that window, the expensive ones, are are like the final pieces of the puzzle, right? Last year, it's Arsenal going out and getting Trossard because they didn't want to spend on Mudrick, and that ended up working out quite well for them, it seems. And, and they just want one more piece that can help eat up a 1,000 minutes across all competitions for the rest of the season. Or, or maybe they need a bigger piece, and you go out and you really do look for a, a high-profile player. You're getting charged a premium in the January window because it's mid-season and teams don't want to lose their Leandro Trossards. Teams don't want to lose these high-profile players that are key for them, maybe a mid-table side, and are going to still be key in a different way for a big team. They, they don't want to part with those players, but they, they do want to part, for them, part with them Excuse me for a premium. And so you're going to have to pay more. And so I think maybe there's a chance, and I'm hesitant to ascribe too much like intelligence to some of these different clubs because we can see how poorly run a lot of them are. Maybe there's something to this idea that teams are realizing, hey, if we can avoid spending in January, that's a pretty good thing for us because we don't usually hit on a lot of this stuff. Taylor, I don't know if you read this as well. In that same 21st group section, uh, in, in another study that 21st group had done, they found that basically net spend in January in the January yeah, window this is nuts. has no correlation with a change in points per game after the window. So if you go out and spend like Chelsea did last year, there's not really anything that suggests that you're going to get a ton better in the middle of your season after the window than you were before the window. Yes, you know, it does depend on the specific case, and some clubs do smart business. Maybe we'll go on to talk a bit about some business that Brighton have done later on, and Brighton tend to do smart things. Like, there, there's some wisdom there, but it's not like throwing money at the problem midseason is always the answer. In fact, it, it doesn't really tend to be the answer at all. Well, a case in point for that, Joe, would be Chelsea, of course, spending, as Graham said, a third of the spend from last hmm. uh, the last window. And Graham, I suppose, a big in contributor the League, to... Yeah. In the Premier League, thank you. In uh, the... Uh, yeah, a big contributor to the lower spend this season might be... There's no silly spenders. There's no Chelsea. There's no... The Saudi League has yeah. also, um, you know, toned toned its spending down for this window and that they've got different objectives. 
Yeah, I don't really have an answer to Joe's. I'm not sure if he was looking for an answer, but uh, to Joe's question about are Premier League clubs getting smarter, I think that's possible. Um, I still think every so often there's going to be a Premier League, a big Premier League club that really enters a uh, silly spending season, as you called it, Ryan. But I think if you look through each of the the big clubs or the clubs that are certainly near the top of the Premier League table, you can find reasons why they aren't spending. So Man City and Liverpool rarely spend much in January because they are too well run for that. And when they do spend money in January, it tends to be either for a developmental player like Man City have done with Echeverri, who's, who's signed today, or it's Liverpool going in for Virgil van Dijk, who is a long-term target. They tried to get him in the summer. They waited for their man. They got him in, in January. They don't really do panic buys. Arsenal might have spent if the right centre forward was available, but that player doesn't seem to be out there right now. And so they were facing paying like £100 million for someone like Ivan Tony, Good player, but not worth £100 million. Villa are the one exception. I feel like they they might have a couple of notable deals left in them before the end of the window. They've been linked with uh, Inyaki Williams, Jeremy Frimpong as well. I don't think that one's really realistic. But if there's one, if one of the big six, or the top six clubs currently in the Premier League table were to do some deals, Villa would be where I, I, I'm looking. Manchester United have had the Ineos takeover, of course. Uh, if you're talking about silly spending, Manchester United are normally top of the list. But they have had that uh, Jim Ratcliffe coming into Old Trafford. They've kind of frozen everything for the time being until there's a reassessment. Maybe some players will leave. Manchester United because it seems like they are focused on bringing the wage bill down but in terms of incomings I don't think anything is expected at Manchester United so it's an accumulation of a few things maybe some of these teams are getting smarter maybe it's just the individual circumstances of each of the clubs maybe it's that I think certainly the financial fair play or the profitability and sustainability rules are a factor it's an accumulation of all those things all right Taylor have we hit all your bullet points now we have I think the last one uh, that's been mentioned, but to reiterate, it's basically is just that January, I think of it as being more hectic than it is. I think because those last two windows in 2022 and 2023 had a good amount of spending and it does feel like you get teams waiting until those, that final day, the final two days, and then realizing we do need a striker. Ah, the left back options we have aren't good enough. We need to get somebody else. And so you have some panic spending there, but I think I did sort of forget that for the longest time, January ends up feeling more like a damp squib yeah. uh, of, of enthusiasm for transfers with a few exceptions. Uh, and so I think remembering that January tends to be a bit more dull uh, is another point worth reiterating. Yeah, I think that's a point worth making, Taylor. The last two years, this maybe has been quieter than your average transfer window, but the last two years were more active than if you're taking the the, the mean yeah. over like seven or eight year period. 2021, which was the COVID season, I know 2020 was the COVID year, but the knock-on effect was that the COVID uh, January was a COVID window. The spending in the Premier League was just 84 million. Um, so keep in mind, obviously, that's the whole window. We're currently sitting at, what is it, £36 million? So it wouldn't actually surprise me if in the final week of this window we, we reach kind of £80 million mark. And then uh, you had 2022, which was club spending more after COVID. And then last January was post-World Cup. So you had Enzo Fernandez. You had a lot of deals being done off the back of that tournament as well. So as I say, to reiterate my point, an accumulation of a lot of things. All right, we're going to take a quick break now. When we come back, we'll ask, is this the new normal? And we'll look at what's left to come from this window back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Big Thing episode all about the January window. Uh, Joe, you uh, you put forward the premise that Premier League teams might be getting smarter uh, with this window. Does that sustain itself? And do you think this could be the new normal that, that January spending does go down? Like culturally, for example, in the Bundesliga, Bundesliga teams tend not to spend in January. It, it's, it's regarded that they get their business done in the summer. Yeah. I mean, there are exceptions. you've got to sign Eric Dyer. Yes. You, you, when that opportunity comes up, you've just got to take I mean, it. How do you, do you mean Eric Dyer, who now speaks like this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's so embarrassing. <laughs> that didn't happen. He's now doing the Joy Barton no, accent and everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Credit to him. <laughs> Sorry, James. I, I, I get it. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I get it. When you are like, like I for the longest time would still say like Istanbul uh, when talking about Istanbul. Like I get little aspects of it, but for it to be that quick is 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 kind of a bummer. I'm not gonna lie. I'm I don't not know. Gonna lie. I, I appreciate it because it's about being understood. Because I don't sound how I used to in London. Because you, you, your accent softens in your environment. I would argue. Back to the German though. accent within like two days of arriving in Munich. Fair enough. It's not oh, usually that quick. Wow. Sorry, Joe. Sidetrack there. The, the premise that uh, this might be the new normal. Yeah. Your thoughts? Uh, I think there's a very real chance of that. The wrench that gets thrown into this plan is the the fact that there are Premier League teams that like to be chaos agents and they do have more money seemingly to spend than any other club in Europe outside of maybe PSG at this point. So there is some chaos there, like when Manchester United inevitably decide to, decide to spend like a ridiculous amount at some point in the future. They will throw a wrench into all this. The other thing that I still don't think any of us have a great read on is, yes, Saudi Arabia seems to be quiet in this January window. There's talk about Miguel Maron moving from Saudi Arabia to Saudi Arabia. There's talk about, you know, maybe a couple of other things happening along the way. But, like, what are they going to do next year? What are they going to do the year after that? It's, it seems like this window, they're focused on getting Emmerich Laporte to stop talking to the media. But, like, I don't know what they're planning to do going forward. Are they going to continue to try to push to get stuff done? Is the fact that their window in January closes on the 30th, which is before some of the windows in Europe, does that dissuade them from making 
more moves and they can just go ahead and really capitalize in the summer? I don't know because this is still so early on in their their plan to become a legitimate soccer power on the domestic front. So we don't have enough information about what they want to do. And we haven't seen them go through a January window it, it, it before, really. I mean, we have, but like not like this, not in this new era for them. So if Saudi Arabia start to spend money in the winter, all of a sudden, they're probably buying from Premier League teams, or if not, they're buying from solid-level European clubs. That then creates movement, which is a domino that pushes another one down, that pushes another one down. So I think there are still some things that could prevent that from happening, but I certainly don't think we're going to ever see the January window really boost in spending outside of some ridiculous thing that happens in the soccer world that none of us really can predict. Hmm. Taylor, do you feel the same way? Yeah, I think largely I, I, I do. I think especially if the penalties are there in the Premier League, I think it, it, it has some belt tightening. It leads to maybe just teams trying to be a little bit smarter. And I think also there's the perception idea in my mind or the idea that if you are a Bundesliga club with an expensive striker – it's not lost on me that Premier League clubs tend to get rumored really quickly and linked really quickly as a way to, I think, drive up the price to Graham's point when he runs through some of the clubs that aren't going to be spending and are publicly not going to be spending. I think you lose an ability to have those negotiations ramp up a little bit. If Manchester United can't be linked with every single striker because they're clearly not signing a player, you don't have that bargaining chip. And I think the Premier League being less likely to spend money does have that sort of ripple effect. Uh, Graham, we're less than a week out from transfer deadline day, European transfer deadline day. Uh, is this argument going to be blown up by Kylian Mbappe coming to Newcastle or something wild? Do we think? What, what, are, what are expectations? <laughs> that that doesn't seem likely. I'm not convinced there will be any kind of elite level big money signings. I don't think Arsenal are going to get their centre forward. Liverpool are not going to get their number six. I expect those things will be pushed to the summer. I, I agree with what Joe was saying about Saudi Arabia. That's where the landscape could change we've obviously had some players leave or we've had Jordan Henderson leave Saudi Arabia we've had I met Laporte making the comments um, about players being unhappy there and it seems likely that Karim Benzema will be coming back to, to Europe in the next week that feels like the the one big name transfer that, that could happen and so what we could see is Saudi Arabia some of the Saudi clubs um, trying to limit the reputational damage by making some signings to prove that players still want to play in that league so we've seen we've already kind of seen that with uh, some rumors so Miguel Almiron has been linked I'm not sure if that one's happening now I'd read that he'd actually rejected that move and he wants to stay at Newcastle um Alvaro Morata uh, uh Ben Jacobs was reporting that he's a, he's a target for some Saudi clubs Aaron Wambasaka I'm not really sure how many tickets Aaron Wambasaka is shifting in Saudi Arabia but apparently he's on their radar and to Taylor's point if Premier League clubs are getting money for those players then they've, they've got a little bit more money to to reinvest that's the only way I could see a busy final week I could envisage a busy final week of the window otherwise it's going to remain pretty quiet I think yeah and I think I tend to see some of the transfer inactivity, especially in the outgoing side when it comes to the Premier League, as a sign that this is a a problem that Premier League clubs largely are having to figure out because, and it's one of their own creation, but I think there are a lot of players in the league. 
I'm obviously talking as a Man United fan. There are plenty on Man United's books who are just making too much money. The wage bill is so high, and, and they have established a precedent for it being very high that I think even if clubs did want to look at some Premier League clubs and think, hey, they need some money, they need to kind of free up the books a little bit, why don't we put in a, a cut rate price for this player or that player? You then have to combat that wage bill that they are on and, and their demands and what they're going to be. Certainly some players will take a pay cut, but I do wonder if the wages on offer in the Premier League, which for the longest time have been a driving force in why you'll go there, and I think will continue to be a driving force in yeah. why players want to play there, it can also be a negative in that it makes it harder for them to move. The, the other thing that could have changed the landscape and didn't was the Premier League TV rights deal that was struck a, like two months ago, I want to say, two or three months ago, which is the extension of the domestic rights in, in the UK. And I think there's a, there's a small increase in the overall package amount but they're handing over more games to be broadcast by Sky and TNT in the UK. So actually the price per game has gone down with the right the next rights package, which I believe is the first time that has happened since the 1990s with the Premier League. So had that rights package been a, a lot bigger, had the inflation continued, as has happened for the last four or five rights packages in the UK, then maybe some clubs would have been liberated to spend some more money in this window. But they're not getting that additional income over the next five to six years and that might be another factor oh, that's so rough for those teams not getting that additional income graham i'm i'm my heart bleeds for them right now they're only getting six billion dollars over the next five years <sighs> for them that's not enough um joe do we think there could be a knock-on effect for the summer coming up uh are we going to see a huge uptick in summer spending for example maybe if the uh, saudi league starts spending a bit more what do we think yeah the saudi league continues to be sort of like an, an x factor here i think if they continue to make big moves that does create opportunities for other teams to do that stuff the summer is going to continue to be the the massive time to spend right I, this is a, an example that's closer to home for me but i think about atlanta united currently trying to sell jago almada he's available for the right price but nobody's come in with the right price in the winter I'd be shocked if somebody didn't do that in the summer because he's not going to slow down anytime soon. And he'll be, you know, around a $30 million outgoing deal. And that money is going to come across Garth Lagerway's desk eventually over in Atlanta for Arthur Blank. So, like, we are going to see the summer continue to be the window that teams spend. I don't know if we're going to see a massive uptick, mostly because I'm not sure we're going to see a dramatic decrease in January spending in Europe over a larger sample size. We talked about last year being special because of Chelsea. Graham, you went through some of the previous years as well. I don't know that we're going to see January drop off a cliff consistently, but I mean, the summer is still going to be the time when almost all of the money, or at least, you know, four or five X, the amount of money that's spent in the winter is going to be spent in Europe and, and maybe even in Saudi Arabia as well. And I think it would be cool if the Premier League didn't live in Groundhog Day and, and actually learned from their mistakes and their lessons. I don't have much faith that they will. And so these, uh, the, the profit and sustainability rules I believe the number is what? You can lose 105 million pounds over three years? Uh, 35 million a season, so that would be what? Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so, but, it's not, but it's not like, oh, you lost more than 35 million in one season, right? It's, it's that, so all I mean to say is that what I see is clubs like tightening their belts, then having no loss one year and being like, well, we can lose yeah. however much we want over the next two years because it's not 105 over three. Like, I, I fully think that there will be some clubs that spend more than they should and i think we'll also get clubs like i do think if there's one team in the premier league that's going to spend money in january it might be nottingham forest who i think might go with a really interesting strategy of we're going to get docked points anyway 
but we don't have relegation clauses. We are not prepared for relegation. We're just going to spend and hope that we survive. And then, like, they're gambling on the points deduction and I think staying up in the Premier League versus, like, cut it, cutting the budget a bit, but maybe having to get relegated and then dealing with all of the fallout from that. I think that one will be pretty interesting. But on the whole, I don't know how many Premier League, Premier League clubs are actually going to change how they operate uh, based on this January, at least. Yeah, that's an interesting theory, Taylor. I like the idea of uh, them all grouping together and saying, right, lads, the, the car rental company, they're not looking for the dents anymore. Let's go and be <laughs> reckless drivers. Out. We found a new way to hide the dents. Let's <laughs> <Yeah>. go. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, why don't we cast our eye on a few transfer stories to keep our eye on? Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you are connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to The Big Thing. Let's take a look at some of the potentially active deals that could go down in the next week or so. Uh, Joe, uh, a big one that may have had some movement by the time this comes out, possibly not, Gia Reyna coming to the aforementioned Nottingham, free spending Nottingham Forest. Uh, what do we uh, what do we make of that? Yeah, one? they let no uh, charge from the rule book ever stop them, Nottingham Forest. Yeah, this, this one seems to make a lot of sense because... Giorena has a new agent. It's George Mendez. George Mendez runs Nottingham Forest and like 13 other clubs across Europe at this point. There are non-sporting reasons that this deal would happen. It's not for sure. And Ryan, you mentioned there's a chance there's been movement on this before, folks. Listen, Marseille has also been reported to be interested. Several other European clubs are as well. Where he goes, nobody really knows for sure yet, but it, it does seem like a move is in the cards. Looking specifically at the Forest move, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday, I think either before or after recording, so I'm, I'm curious to hear others' thoughts and if they've changed at all. I don't love this move. Uh, it, it would be fun to have him in the Premier League, which is clearly the best league in the world because they spend a lot of money, they have very good players. It's tactically not a bad fit with Nottingham Forest in terms of the shape that they play. It's a lot of 4-2-3-1, so he could play anywhere in that attacking midfield band. He can play in the right half space, the left half space as the number 10. That makes sense to me. 
there are quality players there. You got Anthony Alenga, you have Morgan Gibbs-White. Both of those players have been regulars across that attacking midfield line. You also have Callum Hudson-Odoi, who we talked about on a listener questions episode a few months ago. as sort of just like kind of being a bust. And so I, I'm not terribly concerned about Hudson-Odoi, but they're very different players. They add very different things. And Hudson-Odoi has been playing some. He's got around 600 minutes in the Premier League this year. But the, the biggest thing I don't like about this move is that Nottingham Forest never have the ball. They're near 40% yeah. possession in the Premier League this year because they're not a very good team. They have to play against the ball. Tactically, that makes sense. But you know who likes having the ball and, and probably won't be a very good fit for a team that doesn't have the ball? Gio Reyna. Gio Reyna is fantastic in possession. He thrives when he's on the ball. I honestly don't know exactly how he would do in a team that rarely keeps the ball because he, he's never done that before. Dortmund tended to have plenty of, of opportunities to feed their attackers' touches in the final third. The United States don't bunker and counter against really anybody. They're either the Giants against CONCACAF opposition or they're still trying to play in some respect against other teams that are better than them. This would be new territory for Giorena. With that being said, I think Giorena is a fantastic soccer player. And if he's fit and healthy and on the field, which is never guaranteed with Giorena, I think he would be good enough to earn minutes and improve Nottingham Forest. It just doesn't feel like that's yeah. a great opportunity for him to take the next step in his career. I don't like this move for Gio Reyna. I've, I've made my mind up yep. on it. I was debating it back and forth the last couple of days. There are some aspects that could work for Gio Reyna. You mentioned the shape, Joe. If you're picking a team from scratch, there's obviously a position there for him. But Morgan Gibbs-White tends to play in the position that Gio Reyna sees as his best position, which is a number 10. At this point, I think I'm probably picking Gibbs-White over Gio Reyna. I think Gio Reyna has a higher ceiling than Gibbs-White, but right now, he's more integrated into that team, and so shifting him out of the Forest starting lineup for the second half of the season is going to be very difficult. I don't like the fact that Nottingham Forest are a pure counter-attacking team, especially under Nuno. Uh, Steve Cooper already leaned into that counter-attacking identity, but at least he tried to turn Forest into a more possession-orientated team. It just didn't work, and he leaned into the counter-attacking thing. Nuno, throughout his whole career, when he's been good, has been a counter-attacking coach. And I look at some of the other options, which, by the way, the options are hilarious because yeah. it's like the, the, the George Mendes full hand. You know, Sevilla, uh, I'm surprised Wolves aren't an option. Jose Mourinho's assistant, maybe that would have been, might have been an option for, for Gio Reyna. Sevilla's the one. Now, I know Sevilla have their troubles. They've got big troubles right now. They're facing a fight against relegation in the Liga. But if we're talking about a loan deal... Sevilla is the one that I would fancy for Gio Reyna. They they kind of have they play this midfield three, so there's not a clear number ten for them. Um, but it does feel like they need a player like Gio Reyna, a, a a young energetic creator. They like to have possession, so I was just looking at the possession the La Liga possession numbers. They're fifth in La Liga this season for average possession share, so that that suits um, Gio Reyna's style of play. So if it's a loan deal, I would have preferred Sevilla over Nottingham Forest. But I'm um, if he gets if it gets him game time, which is primarily what Giorena needs this season, because he hasn't had that at Dortmund so far this season, then I guess I'm in favour. I just don't know if we'll see the best of him at Forest. Taylor, you're presumably excited at the prospect of Gio returning to the nation of his birth, his homeland. Uh, yeah, right? Am I excited about that, or yeah. are you excited about that? That's why you found a way to shoehorn it in. Either works. How do you feel? <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, I share Graham's uh, concern about this one for any number of reasons. I do also have big concerns about the physicality and intensity of the Premier League for a player who is very often injured, uh, to Joe's point. Uh, and then it's going into a very unstable situation where we've seen this many, many times, a young player or a youngish player coming in 
and isn't guaranteed to start for a team that is relegation-threatened, there is no guarantee that he is going to get minutes, and there's no guarantee that if uh, the, the manager settles on a, an approach that works and gets a few results, that it's going to change anytime soon. So I, I think it's just there's a lot of instability there across the board. I think Graham's right that if you're looking at a loan to a place where he is going to play and there's going to be less immediate pressure on him. Like, I don't think Sevilla will get relegated. I know they're in that spot or near that spot. I know that they're lower down to the table. I still think it won't be that level of intensity the way it might be for Nottingham Forest. I wish he could just stay at Dortmund and get minutes and play well and then move in the summer if that's how it goes. But it does feel like with some of the signings or the specific signing Dortmund have brought in on loan, there's less opportunity than ever for him to get consistent minutes at Dortmund. One more thing on Giorena. Because the physicality part has been mentioned, and I, I think I disagree. But I, can we set a can we set a um, some sort of a benchmark to decide when Giorena inevitably moves to the Premier League? Because that seems very very likely to me. Whether or not it's in this window, he's probably going to end up there someday. Because that's where good soccer players tend to end up. How are we going to calculate? How are we going to decide if the physicality of the Premier League is making him injured, or if it's Giorena making him injured because Giorena is always injured? Can we do it like? We go through and look at transfer market and say this is how many days he missed for various injuries in the Bundesliga. And if that averages out to the same number over the same amount of time for the Premier League, then we can agree it's not the Premier League. And if it's more than that, then it is. Is that an acceptable benchmark for this test? Sure. Feels like you've put a lot of thought into this, Joe. <laughs> I, I can just envision, I can just envision us, getting, <laughs> us getting to a point where Giorena moves. And he gets hurt and everyone's like, well, that's the physicality of the Premier League. He can't cut in the Premier League. When in reality, like... That's not enough to tell us that information, right? Julian is always hurt. Forest Hardman. Yeah. Is the question. <laughs> Nottingham Forest Hardman, Giorena. But I don't know. Even if nobody else is into this concept, I think it's important because that's such a stereotype that gets thrown around about the Premier League. Like, there's a lot of very good, tiny people in the Premier League. Bernardo Silva is like four feet tall, and he is constantly one of the best players in the Premier League. Uh, Giorena, in my mind, is absolutely physically capable of, of hanging around. At the higher levels of the Premier League, the problem is his fitness and his muscle injuries and all this stuff just continue to pop up that he can't stay on the field for a sustained period of time. So, I don't know. If I'm going to be monitoring that stuff, even if no one else is. If Giorena were going to Man City, I'd be fine with it. I wouldn't have concerns about the physicality. I, Man I think City play in the same Forest league as Nottingham Forest? Is, 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 yeah, that's, that's the, the, the category. They play in the same league. Uh, that's what I, we're talking about! <laughs> No, we're talking about the style of the team and the fact that Man City play a possession-oriented style oh, where you're okay. not well, all, getting into physical all challenges. I'm, all I'm the looking board. to protect against is just the cliche of when Gio goes to the Premier League, the league, not a specific team, the league and gets hurt. Everybody jumping on board and saying, "Well, you know, he's in the Premier League, he's going to get hurt." When in reality, I think it, you know, it, it maybe isn't quite so simple as a generalization as that. So maybe we do agree after all. Uh, Taylor, in the previous part, you mentioned um, Man United having players with far too many wages. Far too higher salaries, I should say. Uh, with that, what? this I, is I don't news know, to me. <laughs> yeah, I know, crazy, right? Well, in that note, then Karen Benzema coming to Man United seems like a natural thing to happen. Then, right? It really does. In the past uh, iterations of Manchester United, if Ed Woodward were still there, that would definitely be happening right now. It does seem like, uh, to Graham's point, Ineos are very much about not having any incomings, about balancing the books, about getting players' wages down or getting players sold, and then looking at how they can improve the squad with an overarching vision. I, I think Kareem Benzema does tick a couple boxes for Man United, but I don't think that that is the, the route that they will be going. I think he could definitely make other teams way better, maybe Man United, but I don't think that that is the route they want to go. I think they will try to clear out some players if they can, 
But again, we cycle back to if Saudi Arabia isn't buying, I don't know who's offering some of those wages and going to throw in offers that are going to be competitive enough to to get players to move. So the interest in Benzema reportedly seems to be from uh, Lyon, who are pushing really hard to get Karim Benzema, apparently. John Texter, who's the owner there, is putting some of his own money into the deal to try and get him. Of course, Lyon, a former uh, a former club of, of Karim Benzema, that's where he was before Real Madrid. Uh, Chelsea have been linked, unsurprisingly, with him as well. And Arsenal are the other Premier League team that have been linked. If it is, obviously the big question mark with Benzema is how do you get him out of El Etihad on the wages that, that he is on? But he seems quite determined to force... Jordan Henderson managed that out of El Etifak and Benzema seems determined to get back to Europe as well in this window. So who knows? If he is a gettable target, I think Arsenal should be pushing hard for him. If it's a short-term deal, if we're talking a short-term eight, you know, one-year or 18-month contract or a, a loan deal even, I think Benzema is uh absolute gimme for Arsenal to go into that number nine spot. Rotate him in and out yep. of the team. I think he his movement, his mobility would fit well with Arsenal. And of course, he's a goal-scoring centre forward. And yeah, he's been playing in Saudi Arabia, but a year ago, he won the Ballon d'Or. And he is 36, but I still have faith that he can perform at a, a, a very high level. So if I were Arsenal, that's the one I'd be pushing for. I know we've talked a lot about Saudi Arabia. How bad must things be if you're Kareem Benzema and you're on what like two million a week or whatever it is to be like nah you know what I gotta get out of here this is not for me (laughs) at the age of 36 no less to be like no this is I refuse to finish my career here that is not a strong sign for that league I have to say indeed uh joe any transfer stories you've got your eye on currently uh i do very much still have my eye on that kareem benzema move one club that has not been named but that i i've been daydreaming of in my head is lafc i don't think there's a huge chance of that happening but i also don't think it's a coincidence that lafc have kept multiple of their their highest most important roster slots open their dp spots to maybe get someone of kareem benzema's caliber into the squad we'll see what happens on that front I'm just so curious what on earth is going on with Bayern Munich. We talked about Eric Dyer earlier in his faux German accent. They've been linked to Kieran Trippier. They've reportedly made two separate offers for Kieran Trippier. They are no longer going after Kieran Trippier is the last thing that I read prior to recording. But Thomas Tuchel clearly wants a right back. And Thomas Tuchel continues to try to chop and change the squad in ways that I, I don't quite understand. But also, maybe this is the missing piece, given that Bayern are underperforming a bit this year, at least relative to Bayer Leverkusen. So what Bayern Munich do, it feels like they have one more move in them before the January window closes in the Bundesliga. What that move looks like and whether they go for a slightly younger, more up-and-coming player or another Eric Dyer, Kieran Trippier-level English, then I don't know, but I am fascinated to find out. Okay, Taylor, uh, Calvin Phillips, is he finally going to go somewhere where he can have a meaningful career? It seems like West Ham might be the destination for him. And West Ham doing some good business here. Like They, they, they seem to be good at that lately, I, I mean, feel like. That presupposes that uh, playing under Marcelo Bielsa and then sitting on the bench for Pep Guardiola wasn't what he was looking for as the highlight of his career. (laughs) Two good coaches to play for and then David Moyes. That should be fun. Uh, (laughs) But I do think this is a really smart move for all involved. Kevin Phillips obviously not going to be a critical part of Man City or starting for them anytime soon. Uh, I think he can be a critical player for West Ham given how good he was for Leeds. Uh, And and I think from a marketing standpoint or whatever, uh, I saw Pep's comments about him were basically like, he's a wonderful human 
and I'm sad I couldn't give him more minutes. Like, it seems like that's a very amicable departure. And my assumption would be that though he wasn't maybe of the standard to start, he was still a good squad player, a good role player, somebody that Pep enjoyed having around. And so my hope would be that he hits the ground running for West Ham because in that Leeds documentary, he came across as a very likable fellow. And I would like to continue to like him playing for West Ham. Good stuff. And Graham, perhaps a quick hit on some of the deals that have gone through already, uh, few and far between as they are. Uh, Randy Dragerson going to Tottenham. I believe he's the only first team player who's gone to a Premier League team at this point, on a full deal, I should say. And obviously Timo Werner coming on loan as well. Is, this feels like you're just uh, hitting strays at Timo Werner. <laughs> the only first team player to join oh, a Premier oh, League In club. a full deal, not, not on a loan, I mean. Dragosan, I don't have a great read on him because I've not watched him a huge amount, but it feels like it just gives Spurs some much-needed depth at centre-back. They had been playing full-backs in, in that area because Poscoglu didn't like his other options there, most notably Eric Dyer, who's now a Bayern Munich player, bizarrely. But Dragosan is basically the safety net for when Cristiano Romero is out suspended, which I don't know if anyone has not noticed. That happens a lot. Um, a couple other deals that have taken place. Obviously, we've referenced Jaden Sancho back to Dortmund, back in his uh, comfort zone. He's on loan. Already looks to be happier and is producing for Borussia Dortmund, which is what tends to happen to players when they leave Manchester United. I do wonder what happens in the summer if Eric Ten Hag is no longer at Manchester United. Does Jaden Sancho come back to Old Trafford to be part of that squad or does he stay at Borussia Dortmund? I'm not aware of any kind of release clause or uh, purchase clause. The deal that has happened in the Premier League that I like the most, I think this, this has the potential to be the best signing of the whole window, is Valentin Barco. Um, he has joined Brighton. He was linked with Real Madrid and most strongly with Manchester City. Extremely highly rated, only 19 years old. He's an Argentina youth international. Most people expect him to be in the senior squad before too long. I would bet he's in the Copa America squad for the summer. I also think the Brighton system will, will work really, really well for him. He's most comfortable as a, a left-sided wing-back. Wing uh, he's attack-minded. He becomes a superstar in football manager. Um, so I would like to buy stock in Valentin Barco. And, and Brighton signing him is such a big statement on how young players, it feels like he had a choice between Manchester City and Brighton. And he's picked Brighton to go to over Manchester City. And young players, it's a statement on how young players look to Brighton as a club that can help them reach the top. He's going to get game time. He's going to be coached by Deserve. He's going to be in a stable environment. So it's a, a, a good signing, a, a good place for Barco to go. And I think it's a good signing for Brighton as well. Yeah, where was that mentality for Calvin Phillips a few seasons ago? I ask you, Graham. <laughs> yeah, okay. go on. Great. All right, very good. Uh, I think we have answered our question of why the January window is a little slower than usual, but up to speed as always. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for your contributions. Uh, thank you, my friend. I've enjoyed it immensely. Indeed, as have I. Graham Rusman, a pleasure as always, my good man. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And Joe Lowry. Hang in there, kiddo. Thank you very much. Aw, thanks. Hang in there, kiddo. What am I doing? Listener, thank you very much for joining us on this one. We very much enjoy your company. We appreciate you. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye.